Hey everybody, welcome to the Hope Young Adults podcast where we help young adults grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm David Hurst and this episode is all about redemption. Sin and shame often lead us to run away from God and others. During our March night of worship, I talked about the power of walking in the light and how God longs for us to live in the rhythm of redemption. What's up, guys? How we doing? It's a, it's a good night. Alex Crony's in the house. They, uh, they gave me the Mike Lee podium. UNC lost last night. I'm just kidding. I have no allegiances. State by association. Um, well, my name is David, David Hurst, if you guys haven't had a chance to meet me yet, and I'm excited to talk about the idea of rhythm. And does anyone else get anxiety watching that video, seeing someone wake up at 5 a.m. every single morning? Does anyone do that? Good, good, that sounds awful. I know if I ever have to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, a nap is definitely in the forecast for later that day, and afternoon naps, especially on the weekends, are the best. And the way that I like to nap is I like to lie on the couch, I like to turn on a golf tournament, and I'm out instantly. There's something about golf tournaments and napping that go hand in hand. Some of you guys use your white noise machine or your rain app, and I mean, that's fine, but they've got nothing, in my opinion, on golf tournaments. Well, the only golf tournament, though, that I'll stay awake for is the Masters. Coming up here in a couple weekends, if you know anything about sports, you know how big of a deal the Masters are. It's one of the biggest sporting events of the year. And the course there, it's awe-inspiring, it's prestigious, there's so much history, so much legacy involved with the Masters. People spend thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars, just to get in. They spend decades on the waiting list just in order to witness history. And there's usually always some sort of drama with the Masters. Drama like in 2019, when Tiger Woods returned to greatness, he had a decade-long drought of not winning a major. But then in 2019, he won it. And many of you guys know Tiger Woods' story. He was on top of the sport, he was a celebrity, on top of the game, he was on top of the world, he had it all, he was dominant for his sport, but then something happened, then it all came crumbling down. He cheated on his wife, not just one woman, but multiple women, he got addicted to drugs, addicted to painkillers, got arrested, and he had a collapse, he had a fall. He was someone who was once deemed as a hero, and then he was deemed as a villain. He was someone who once was loved, and then he was disliked and hated. And so that brings us to the 2019 Masters when we see him just make this triumphant return, this triumphant return back to greatness. And he had it all locked up. He reached the 18th hole in the final day and all he had to do was just not have a colossal meltdown and end up winning. And on the final hole, as he was walking up the fairway to victory, I thought in the back of my mind, surely people will boo him. Surely there won't be anyone cheering for him after what he had done. And sure enough, a noise started to arise. But there weren't boos, there were cheers. People chanting his name, people cheering him on despite what he had done. And it was a chilling moment. I found myself in the living room cheering him on. And it's even more chilling now, I think, after what happened a couple weeks ago. We know it might have been the last time he had ever played golf. And so while all this was going on, I was kind of wondering in the back of my mind, why are we celebrating a story like this? 
Why do we look at a story like this, someone who had fallen so far, someone who had done such despicable things and are celebrating him? And I thought about it for about a week. And that next weekend was Easter Sunday, and that's when it hit me. See, the thing about Easter is that while we were at our worst, Christ came and saved us. And what our story and what Tiger Woods' story have in common is they're both stories of redemption. That we long for and celebrate redemption stories because we too have been redeemed. There is a longing in each and every one of us to be redeemed, whether we believe in Jesus or not, because God has placed that longing there. So during this talk here tonight, I'm going to unpack the idea of redemption, what it means, why we need it, and what it means for us in the now and the future. It's what I like to call the rhythm of redemption. So if you're OCD like me and you're taking notes and you need a title, you can title this talk, The Rhythm of Redemption. So in order to understand the rhythm of redemption, we have to start at the very beginning. See, in the beginning, when God created man, he created us to experience something called shalom. And shalom is this fancy Hebrew word that essentially means wholeness, harmony, and peace. In Genesis 1.31, we read, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So as God looked upon his finished creation, he looked upon everything that he had made, and he said, this is all working together in harmony. It's working together beautifully. It's working together just as I created it. Another way of putting it, shalom is kind of like perfect rhythm. It's like an orchestra, a giant orchestra working together, playing together. They're all in the same key, the same tune, the same rhythm, the same tempo, and it's a beautiful sound. That's what it was like in the beginning. When God created man, it all worked together beautifully with shalom, with perfect rhythm. But then something happened. Something we know of is called the fall. Sin entered into the world. Shalom was broken. That harmony, that rhythm was fractured. That orchestra was playing their song, and then the one guy got out of key. You know what I'm talking about. When that one guy gets out of key, it just sounds awful. If you've watched the Worship Fails Instagram, I encourage you to go look at it. It's just a compilation of worship leaders or guitarists playing in the wrong key, and it sounds awful, and they get publicly shamed on the internet. And that's what we're like. Ever since thousands of years ago when Shalom was fractured and that rhythm was broken, and ever since that moment, we've been trying to return back to our former state of Shalom, our former state of perfect rhythm. You'll notice this just by taking an honest inventory of your soul. There's always a longing for something more. There's always a desire for something more. It's what King Solomon meant when he wrote in Ecclesiastes when he said, eternity has been planted in every man's heart. In every human soul is a God-given awareness that there is more to this world than what we're living in right now. And so King Solomon searched high and low to try and fill that longing, fill that desire in his soul. He looked for it in women, in power, in money, in riches, in fame, in fortune. You name it, he went after it, and he got it. And what was his conclusion at the end? After seeking out everything that this world could offer, he said this, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing is gained under the sun. King Solomon's pursuit shows that the trying to fill the longings that we have with things of this world will never satisfy the human quest to get back to shalom, to get back to that perfect rhythm. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. 
And so many of us try this King Solomon route and try to fulfill these longings, these desires of the things of this world, and it can lead to some pretty destructive habits. It can lead to us trying to fill this void with things that only temporarily satisfy. Here's kind of an example from my life. You know, I really enjoy food. And the only thing I enjoy more than a good meal is a good cheat meal. And so I believe that God's put food, that's taste, food that tastes good but may not be good for us on this planet for a reason, as a gift to be enjoyed, I believe, in moderation. And so for me, that cheat meal, I usually treat myself to one a week. And so it may not look like I struggle with food or overeating, but one of my tendencies is to abuse the gift of food and not view it as a gift, but something that will bring me, long, that will bring me pleasure and ultimate satisfaction. I mistakenly think that it's something that can bring me joy. And so here's what the cycle kind of looked like. I'll feel this longing inside of me. I'll feel this desire spring up. And that desire begins to take shape. And uh, I look at the shape, and it, it really looks like a four-piece chicken supreme combo from Bojangles. So I go to Bojangles. I get in the drive-thru, begin to think to myself, man, this is a big longing. I don't know if four pieces will be enough. Maybe I need the, uh, the 12-piece chicken supreme box. That sounds good. So I get home, I crush the meal, it's delicious. Enjoy it for a moment, but afterward I kind of feel sick. Experience some regret, some shame. I realize I still have this longing in my soul. My hunger's satisfied, but that longing hasn't been satisfied. And I tell myself, you know, that wasn't worth it. I'm never doing that again. And then you know what happens? Three days later, I'm driving by Bojangles. I think to myself, you know what would be really good right now? 12-piece chicken supreme box. And so that's the cycle we live in, right? And I know it might sound funny that this temptation is in my life, but what I've found is that a lot of it is caused by a deeper longing in my soul. It's insecurity. It's worry about the future. It's identity issues. It's a need to be in control. And when I wrestle with these things, my soul aches. I struggle with it. I wrestle with it. And I think the remedy, something that will make me feel better and bring me pleasure, is food. It's a temporary relief, but it does nothing to heal the ache down deep in my soul. And I can apply this to many areas of my life. I feel controlled by my desires sometimes, by my impulses. I have a longing in my soul that I think good food will fill. I have a longing in my soul that I think success will fill. I have a longing in my soul that I think the approval of others will fill. But at the end of the day, I end up King Solomon saying, everything is meaningless. None of these things help me return back to my former state of shalom. And so fill in the blanks with what it is for you. Think about what it is in your life. Maybe you run to sex or pornography to try to fill that longing, and it only leaves you with hurt, regret, pain. Maybe you binge alcohol or binge Netflix to numb some of the pain in your life, and all it leads to is just you wanting more. Maybe you think success will fill that longing in your soul and it only leads you to be in a constant state of worry, anxiety, and stress. Maybe you put that expectation on others. You think someone else will fulfill the longing in my soul and that is a weight no one can carry. That will crush someone else and it will leave you feeling rejected, isolated, and disappointed. 
It's an exhausting and broken rhythm. It makes us feel stuck time and time and time again. And we swear to ourselves we are never returning back to that thing, but we keep returning back to that cycle. We keep returning back to our brokenness, to our shame. I like to call that the rhythm of shame. That's something Paul wrestled with as well, and that, that gives me hope that someone like Paul wrestled with it. We read in Romans 7, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I can relate to that. I was on a run yesterday, and I was listening to some of Drake's new songs, and uh, I noticed it's something Drake wrestles with as well. One of his new songs, he raps this line. He says, I'm in love, I'm in love with two girls at one time. I got some M's, got a lot of M's on my mind. M's are money, by the way. I had Urban Dictionary that. And my friends, yeah, I keep my friends on my mind. Should repent, I need me some Jesus in my life. And what Drake is saying, girls, money, fame, they don't satisfy me, yet I keep going back over and over and over again to these things. I know deep down I need Jesus. I know deep down that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy these longings and these desires, yet I keep going back. And so tonight, you probably land somewhere in between Paul and Drake, somewhere in the middle there. But wherever you are, I think we can all admit that we live in this broken rhythm. This cycle is not working. We need to enter into a different rhythm, a different cycle. We need to enter into what's called the rhythm of redemption. And so I'm going to walk us through how to get to the, from the rhythm of shame to the rhythm of redemption. But first, I want to break down what the rhythm of redemption is. So there are three stages in the rhythm of redemption. They're all different, but they all work together. First, there's past redemption. Then there's present redemption. And then there's future redemption. So past redemption is what Jesus did on the cross. It's the gospel. If you look at redemption in the Greek, it means a release affected by payment of ransom. We're all sinners. At the end of the day, that's what we are. And because of our sin, we are separated from God. But because God in his love sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, we are forgiven and we are allowed to have a relationship with him. It's like Jesus saw that the government was gonna forgive all our student loan debt and he was like, oh, that's cute, watch this. I'm gonna go die on the cross, forgive your sins and release you from the weight of death, sin and condemnation. It's a beautiful picture. And if you haven't accepted the gift of salvation, I would encourage you to do so tonight. And so then on this side, we have future redemption. Future redemption is what happens when our time here on earth is over. 1 Corinthians 5 paints a beautiful picture of future redemption. It says, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So if you've got pride in your body now, just wait until you get your heavenly body. It'll be like a bunch of Matt Curtises at the beach walking around. And so along with the heavenly body, we will be released also from the brokenness of this world. It means no more pain, no more stress, no more heartache, no more hurt, no more COVID-19, no more racial tension, no more bigotry, no more hatred, no more tears. It'll be a beautiful thing, and it's something we as believers can look forward to. And so finally, between past redemption and future redemption is present redemption. Present redemption is what we're standing in right now. It's the in-between. 
we get to enjoy the fruits of past redemption and look forward and hope to future redemption, but we're still standing in the present in a world where there is hurt, where there is pain, where there is brokenness. And what I love about present redemption, though, is that it's active. It's not a one-time thing. Remember from the Greek, it's release, and God is constantly trying to release us from the things that are holding us in sin and shame. Jesus paints two paths for us. There's a path that leads to death, and there's a path that leads to life. Jesus says the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. Present redemption is Jesus trying to release you from the path of death, to release you from your sin and your shame, and he is constantly working to do that. I believe the story in the Bible that vividly paints the picture between the differences of those two paths of of the rhythm of shame and the rhythm of redemption is the story of Peter and Judas. So both men betrayed Jesus in his final hours on earth. Judas sold Jesus out and Peter betrayed him, rejected him three times. But their reactions to their betrayals were different. Judas stayed in the rhythm of shame. He stayed in pity. He withdrew to isolation where he ultimately crumbled and killed himself. But Peter returned back to his daily routine. He was honest with his shortcomings. He was eager to be forgiven and stayed in community with other disciples. And when Peter came face to face with Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus was eager to repair the damage that had been done. He was eager and willing to restore, to redeem and recommission. Peter got back into the rhythm of redemption and was healed, Judas stayed in the rhythm of shame and crumbled. And so I'm learning what it looks like to be like Peter and to get into the rhythm of redemption. I'm learning to see what it looks like to listen to the voice of shame, to listen that when the longing comes up in my soul, to respond to it with the gospel, to respond to it with the promises of God. And the battle starts inside for each and every one of us. I want to encourage you that when you feel those longings, when you feel the sin, when you feel the shame creep up, when you start feeling bad about yourself, bring it to God right there in that moment. And I will encourage you also to bring it to someone else, bring it to someone you trust, someone who loves you no matter what you've done or what you will do, someone who can remind you of the rhythm of redemption. Far too often, we hide from God and hide from others. We hide our guilt, our shame, our brokenness. We keep it in the darkness rather than dragging it into the light under the power of God's redemptive love. And I don't know why, because restoring broken people is at the heart of what Jesus does. Time and time in the Old Testament, New Testament, God is constantly restoring, redeeming people. He's running after the broken, running after the lost, running after the sinful. And so that means wherever you are, If you're rock bottom in your addiction or you're on the 18th hole walking towards victory, God is chanting your name. He's cheering you on. No matter your past, no matter your sin, no matter what you've done, because he said, I've already redeemed that. Will you join me in your redemptive story? Will you accept the freedom I'm offering you from sin and shame? Will you get back into the rhythm of redemption? I love how Isaiah 44, 22 puts it. This is God speaking. He says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Admit to God you are broken. 
Admit to God and others that you are weak and allow God and a community of trusted believers to enter into your journey from shame into redemption. One of the most freeing things I've discovered is that God is with me in my darkness. God is with me in my brokenness, in my pain, in my shame that I don't want anyone else to see. And the message he offers me time and time again, and the message he's offering you here tonight is I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not disappointed in you. I just want your heart. You think I'm out here to change you, to ruin you, to judge you, to condemn you, when all those things have been taken care of on the cross. All he wants to do is to heal you. All he wants is for you to know his delight despite your brokenness. And then here's what happens when we lean into that. See, the closer we get to God, the more those things that are keeping us in sin and shame will lose their appeal. St. Augustine, whose early years were full of vanity, sexual sin, and godlessness, was transformed by the power of Christ. And on the other end of that, he put it this way. He said, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You, God, drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. So what is the fruitless joy that you're holding on to? What is the shame that you're holding on to? How can you get back into the rhythm of redemption? Because that quote is a beautiful picture of what it can look like when you live in freedom, when you live in the rhythm of redemption. Will you walk in your redemption story? Will you accept that invitation? I get excited thinking about what it would look like if we were a group of people who would collectively walk in our redemption stories. What if we were a people who confessed to God and confessed to others about our sin, shame, and struggle and opened the door to healing? Think about what's possible if we got back into rhythm with our Heavenly Father and walked in our redemption stories. The world is broken. The world is out of rhythm. I think we can all admit that. What if we were a church, if we were a group of people who knew we were redeemed and then carried that redemption story into our neighborhoods and into our nations. I think that would be a beautiful thing. So the invitation's there. What are you holding on to? What do you need to let go of in order to take hold of something far greater? Thanks so much for listening today. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, head over to gethope.net slash youngadult. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe so we can stay connected.